word to 1 Kings chapter 8. We've been looking at 1 Kings 8 uh, a number of weeks now. We're going to complete our look at chapter 8 tonight by reading verses 54 through 56. Now, as you turn there, uh, just a reminder of the previous section, verses 22 through uh, 53 detail that long pastoral, it is a pastoral prayer. He, I know he's a king, but it's a she- pastoral shepherding care. He's a shepherd king uh, praying at the dedication of, of Solomon. In that prayer, remember that it is, in essence, Deuteronomy, copy and pasted over into a prayer and adjusted. So that, in essence, his prayer is to take all the curses that God will bring on his people when they disobey him in Deuteronomy. And Solomon, instead of praying, God, keep us from doing this, he actually prays, God, when we do all of these things, and you've punished us, hear from heaven and forgive. So Solomon has a clear mindset that it's not an issue of whether God's people will be sinful and break the covenant. But when they do this, will God forgive and receive them back? That's the heart of the temple prayer here. And now as we go into the last part of this chapter, what we see is Solomon turning from representing the people before God as mediator to Solomon representing God to the people as mediator as he declares God's blessing and gives God's instruction. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 54. And so it was, when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord, that he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word, of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require. That all the peoples of the earth may know the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be loyal to the Lord your God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as it is this day. 
Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. At that time, Solomon held a feast, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious account of a grand day in the life of your people. And Lord, we thank you that we, though with less pomp, know greater things still in Christ. So we pray that we would have a heart as as humble as Solomon did all those years ago, as we gaze into this, your word, instruct us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as we look at Solomon turning to represent God to the people, we see really two things. We see the blessing of God upon God's people, and we see the call for God's people to respond to that blessing that God has given them. So we can look at the blessing upon God's people, and uh, verse 56 is the first point in this, that the blessing of God upon his people comes in the context of what God has done. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's a repetition of things that has been said throughout chapter 8 multiple times. God has kept his promises. Reflecting on the history of God keeping his promises is indeed a way in which God will bless his people. Here, we can just note in verse 56 that the emphasis on which promises God has fulfilled is specific and general. In 56, he says, Blessed is the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. That seems like a very specific promise fulfilled. And we can see that it's fulfilled specifically this day, although they entered the promised land hundreds of years earlier. They had not retained every part of it which God had given them until the end of David's days, and they hadn't had peace in the land until Solomon's days. Now is the first time in 500-some years 
in which God's people not only retain the full promise, but the peace that comes with that promise. We, we could phrase it that they have finally experienced the fullness in Solomon's reign of milk and honey flowing in houses they have not built but get to possess. And so it, it's a very specific thing in one sense, but this is also a very general statement at the same time he says there has not failed one word of all god's good promise which he promised through moses while the rest aspect seems specific the reality is god giving rest is the end point of all his promises isn't it all those other promises of covenant love and grace and fellowship dwelling among his people all of them find their final moment in shalom, in rest from all their enemies all about, in in the presence of God. And again, it's Solomon at the temple where they can say in an imperfect manner, this has finally happened. I say imperfect because in in one sense it, it just follows on a line of of Good, but not the ultimate. Uh, Think of Hebrews 4, talking about Joshua. If Joshua had given them rest, well, what does Hebrews 4 go on to tell us? Tells us that the final rest hasn't happened until Christ shows up and he leads us into rest. So even Solomon here at the temple, it's the closest thing to eternal rest that the Old Testament saint physically experienced in Canaan. It may be the most glorious moment, the closest thing to that great day of consummation that anyone will experience in a physical way in the history of uh, God's people here with Solomon, but it's only that. It's outward and it's physical rest, and that will soon come to an end. We're going to flip a page, and all that shalom is going to just seep away as we look at sin coming back into the picture. Solomon knew that, hence his prayer. But he is saying here, God has been faithful. And we, reflecting on Hebrews 4, can say, God has indeed been faithful. And our rest is absolutely certain because Christ has entered into his rest. Therefore, there remains a Sabbath for the people of God. Because Christ has entered and received it for us. One day we will have that glorious moment that makes this temple pale in comparison when the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwell are brought to full full fruition when we are with our Lord. The blessing upon God's people isn't just about what God has done. Verses 57 and following then bring a series of how God blesses his people in what he will do in them, what they they will know that he is going to do these things and therefore they are blessed. Verse 57, uh, the Emmanuel principle, God's presence among his people. Well, we know the fullness of that, don't we? The incarnation. And in the incarnation, it's not only the New Testament church that's blessed, but Solomon and those standing with him that day at the temple are blessed only eternally because of the incarnation. 
What a wonderful reality. And Solomon anticipates that. 58. Sanctification is brought to the forefront. What God will do within his redeemed people, making them more holy. This is a form of God blessing his people. And so even as the prayer had assumed the failure of God's people that we will break the covenant, so here Solomon emphasizes that it is the blessing of God alone that enables, and I love this word he uses, inclines our hearts to himself. Our sanctification, our being made holy, is because God blesses us by inclining our heart to to himself to walk in his ways. This is Solomon saying, when David cried out, unite my heart to fear your name, Solomon is saying, God does. He inclines our hearts to fear his name. Sanctification. Another aspect of, of God blessing that he will do is the blessing of the church in verse 60. Notice Solomon again is anticipating. It is a global gospel that Solomon preaches. Anyone who says Old Testament was a different way of salvation uh, that didn't anticipate Christ's coming and the church is not listening to Solomon. Solomon again and again says the whole world will come to our God. And he doesn't present that as a plan B. He presents that as God's plan. It is the way that God will bless. God will bless. God will bless through bringing the church. A a reverse of Babel, in other words. The Israelites are blessed by our being added to their number. Read Paul. That's his attitude as well. That it's not an issue of one people of God there that's one group of people and another that's everyone else. But that Paul and Solomon both have a view that blessing comes to the one through and together with the other. In fact, Hebrews 11 even ends on that kind of note. That they who went before us by faith should not should not have the reward apart from us. Should not experience the the fullness of Christ apart from us. And then uh, and then after the blessing of the church, then he also has in verse 59 what is just a marvelous general statement of the blessing we receive. And it really is the blessing of God's omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence. God knowing, seeing, hearing, to use those anthropomorphic words, his ultimate presence with and his power to do what is needed for his people. He is near. He never forgets as each day requires. Isn't that an astonishing way to phrase verse 59? Solomon says, remember this one prayer I prayed this one day in the history of Israel, O God, and remember it every day. And remember every day as the day requires. Our struggles are different day by day. 
our sins, our discouragements, our need for comfort, our need for God's nearness in a variety of manners, and Solomon covers them all as each day requires. God blesses particularly his people in our need. So that's that's one half of what Solomon does, representing God to the people on that great day. He brings God's blessing upon the people. But then he also calls on God's people to respond to God's blessing. And he does this in two ways, by calling them to obedience and calling them to sacrifice. So calling them to obedience, verse 61, here's the command, having given the blessing, he says, let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord your God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as it is at this day. Um, notice that. We, we sinfully tend to look for ways to be lazy. And we might say, if God is going to bless us with his presence, with sanctification, with Babel reversed, with uh, preserving us each day and ruling over us, well, it's his job to work it in our hearts to will and to do. So I'll wait until he makes me want to live a certain way and so forth. That's a lazy view. And here Solomon doesn't see any problem saying, it's God who works in you. Now, let your heart be loyal. Get to work, in other words. Get to work in responding to God inclining your heart. As he inclines your heart to his law, keep it as this day commands. If we are recipients of God's daily grace, heart-inclining grace, then gratitude and service is the proper response. And this is where I have that handout for you. Those of you who are able to grab that handout, we're going to do our confession now in the midst of this uh, service or this sermon. I want to reflect on uh, several questions and answers here from the Heidelberg Catechism that I think get right at the heart of what Solomon is seeking to do in the hearts of the people that day. I just realized what I copied for you might not be the same exact word. So if, I, if I'm off, I apologize. But uh, I'll ask these questions and ask you to respond as able, if able, with me. Since then, we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ. Without any merit of ours, why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after ourselves thankful to God for his blessing and he may be praised by us further that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by fruits and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ sorry about that when something starts in a different language 
the English versions tend to be very uh, fluid. So I'll, I'll use the same thing as you on this next one. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Now, This is really echoing what Solomon is getting at here. As God blesses us, well then, why must we do good works? And then what do good works look like? And Solomon is saying, as the Heidelberg is saying, well, we need, to, we need to live according to his commands, putting to death that which is against God's commands, but also coming to life, the new nature, the delighting in and loving and living in the will of God in good works. This isn't only Heidelberg and Solomon who called us to this. This is what Paul calls us to as well. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You know these verses well. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to do for your good pleasure. I think Solomon and Paul both see a potential pitfall for us in these verses. In 1 Kings 8.61, when Solomon commands us to let our hearts be loyal to to the Lord, he concludes that verse, as it is this day. I think that as it is this day is the the parallel to Paul saying, as in my presence. Both men are realizing that when there is an amazing moment in the life of God's people, it's easy to want to be loyal. When the Shekinah glory falls out of heaven and enters into a temple made by hands, It's easy to say, we will serve the Lord and him only will we serve. I forget what the first verb is. I messed that up. But we we will uh, obey the Lord our God and him only will we serve. That's easy with that happening. And perhaps it was, Paul saying, even a little easy to remember that when the Apostle Paul is in your midst, you should live this type of life. But both Solomon and Paul are saying, when the days get mundane and humdrum and ordinary, when there's no apostle in your congregation and there's no Shekinah glory coming down in the midst of worship, then also work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Be loyal to the Lord your God and walk in his statutes and keep his commandments. The blessing of God calls on us to be loyal on the ordinary days as well as those amazing days. But then finally, the text comes full circle. The prayer had acknowledged when we sin, God please hear and forgive. And here, be loyal to the Lord is immediately followed by abundant sacrifice. We're right back where it started with the forgiveness of God needed. 62 through 66. Just imagine the blood. Imagine how many priests this required. Imagine this situation, 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. And that's just the peace offerings. The, The author doesn't bother telling us. He tells us that there were burnt offerings, grain offerings, the fat of the peace offerings. But all he tells us is how many the peace offerings were. But do realize that for every peace offering, you weren't allowed to bring it till you had had a burnt or a sin offering presented on your behalf. So I think we can at the very least say double the number. That's a, that's a big day for sacrifice. And here's this people who, who are in tents far outside of Jerusalem. This is a revival service. This is a corporate worship service all the way to the brook, the brook of Egypt. That's not, by the way, all the way to Egypt. Look look at a map. But it's still very impressive this day. And all these burnt offerings and all of this because Solomon, having declared the blessing of God, among which is the blessing that God will sanctify his people, and having commanded the people to respond to the blessing with obedience, he knows, as he had in his prayer, they need forgiveness. They need forgiveness. They need atonement. And of course, all the blood of all the bulls could never atone for the sin of man. This is just an example of of Solomon going so extravagant. And then Hebrews says, but even on that day, it wasn't enough. It wasn't sufficient. The number killed isn't what matters. It's the one killed. And Hebrews makes it very clear to us that we have the better. One blood shed one time for the forgiveness of sins. So as we look then at the conclusion of this day at the temple, I'm not trying to be uh, flippant or or trite with this, but I, I think the conclusion we could come to could simply be this. Solomon wants us to ask the Lord to sanctify us, to pursue the honor of God by keeping his law, to repent and look to Christ for forgiveness by his blood, and repeat. 
That's what Solomon's doing. Ask the Lord to sanctify you. Pursue his, his law. Repent when you failed. Repeat. Over and over again. That should be our life, shouldn't it? That's what Solomon is saying their lives need to be as well when he implies every day as it is this day. Repeat, repeat, repeat. This is the Christian life. Forgive, O Lord, and having forgiven, sanctify me, and Lord, I will pursue your law. But Lord, forgive me again. Well, thanks be to God, our Savior does forgive us each day as we have.